Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tops Talk, episode 11, and we thank you very much for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Birch. We have a very special episode in store for you this week, as we have two actors from the Star Wars galaxy with us in the Tops office, and they are John Morton and Taylor Gray. John Morton acted in The Empire Strikes Back as a fighter pilot, but also suited up as Boba Fett for an important scene in the same movie. And, of course, Taylor Gray is a voice actor on the successful computer-animated series Star Wars Rebels, which is found on the channel Disney XD. First off, thanks so much for coming in, guys. All right. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> us, man. Oh, boy, John's, John's into it. May the force be with you, right? Thank you, there John. You I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm going to have a good Friday. So, John, let's go into your very quick work, but it was work nonetheless as Boba Fett, and it actually has kind of spurred you being involved in a quartet yeah. of people who have played Boba Fett. I, I like to call it the Boba Fett Quartet or the Boba Corfett. Oh, there you go. I don't know which one I like more. <laughs> but either way, what is it like being a part of this legacy? Well, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it, it all sort of came to bite me uh, in about 2010 when the fans really got, you know, heavily into the Bobas. And that's the first time, I think, that Lucasfilm actually put us all together at uh, Celebration 5. And so you had uh, Dickie Beer, who did the stunts. You had Jeremy Bullock, who is Boba Fett. Uh, you had me for that one scene. Uh, and Daniel, of course, who was the young Boba uh, in the uh, prequels. But also we had another fellow, Alan Harris, who uh, modeled some of the early Boba Fett armor. And he was included as well. So there were about five of wow, us lined Wow, a quintet. Up. Hey. Five of us lined up for that, yeah. And that ruins my nicknames. Um, and so talk about just also your involvement in the Star Wars kind of galaxy. And it, I can't call it the world because it's obviously bigger than that. Um, but how, how, does, how does it feel to be a part of such a, a tradition? Well, it's pretty neat. Uh, you know, I, I have to confess, uh, Taylor and I were talking before the broadcast. Uh, we both came into Star Wars sort of as uh, a little naive about the about what it was what was happening, and um, you know, I certainly had had a life that uh, proceeded in show business and also in journalism and what have you until about 1998, 97, when they re-released the the films. And it was at that point uh, that I got rediscovered, you know, for the conventions, and I discovered this uh, this galaxy, which you're experiencing, is is far and wide. And so, um, ever since then, with an exception, say between 2003 and 2010, when my life got very busy, uh, you know, doing my day job, so to speak, uh, uh, I, you know, I've been very much involved in it, and I do about one convention a month. It's it's pretty neat. It's like a traveling circus. <laughs> Yes, the Traveling Galactic Circus. Yeah, and Moss Eisley Cantina is wherever, wherever <laughs> the Bobas are <laughs> right. and others. So when you kind of take a step back and, and look at your involvement in arguably, and this is very arguably, but I at least think so because it's my opinion, the, the best of the three movies in Empire, what does that make you think of, like to be a part of such a, a, a lasting piece of entertainment that's in the Library of Congress, for crying out loud? Well, it's uh, it's it's an awesome honor, 
uh, and uh, as so much of show business is serendipitous, uh, you know, I feel very, very privileged that uh, the serendipity enabled me to become a part of this. And I have to admit, I didn't fully appreciate it uh, when I was cast. Uh, it was just another job, and as Taylor would say, you know, that's the truth, and that's best, uh, you know, not not spin it. But uh, the fans and uh, the franchises like yours have kind of brought me into the world uh, to the extent that I've kind of lived into my characters. Uh, first, I lived into Dak, and then when the fans wanted me to live into Boba Fett, which I was somewhat uncomfortable with until I came up with a fan suggestion to say that, oh, well, you're Bespin Boba. I said, yeah. That's better. <laughs> Boba Fett is Jeremy Bullock, but I am certifiably Bespin Boba, and that—that's yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm thrilled, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. So you brought up Dak, and that is the character that you played as you. I mean, Boba obviously masked, but Dak was you, a fighter pilot. And what was that experience like acting in in that capacity? Well, that was a lot of fun. I was uh, cast uh, on a t on a daily rate for a two days. Uh, that was my contract, and uh, the hitches that they were encountering in terms of scheduling all the different shoots uh, in the studios at Elstree, and the technical problems, and just lacing that all together for the line producers to try to you know get it organized. I ended up working on that film for four weeks. Wow. So I made a lot of money, <laughs> and uh, I got exposed to a lot of that sort of Star Wars culture uh, that was um, pretty amazing. Um, now, I was very thrilled uh, because the contract read uh, that uh, I was cast as a rebel pilot. And so when I went on the set, I didn't know who I was, and they told me, well, you're going to play Dak. Well, who's Dak? Well, Dak is uh, Luke Skywalker's co-pilot. And I said, oh, well, that's really great. People will remember that, eh? And they said, well, that's the good news. The bad news is you're already dead. <laughs> <laughs> and what had happened is they'd just gotten back from uh, shooting the Hoth scenes, uh, the exteriors, uh, on a glacier in Norway, and a Norwegian extra, you know, took the bullet. And so I was already I was already toast. <laughs> you didn't have a chance. Jack. No. <laughs> well, let's move over to Taylor's experience in the Star Wars galaxy. Now, Taylor is a part, as I said earlier, is a part of Star Wars Rebels, which is a computer animated TV show found on Disney XD, as I mentioned earlier, and it really bridges the gap between Episode Three and Episode Four. Tell me about your experience. First off, acting in a way that no one can see, because, of course, this is computer animated and, and you are doing voice acting. And also, of course, talk about you know, what it's like being a part of the Star Wars family. Um, well, being part of the Star Wars family is unbelievable. I, I'm still realizing how large and vast it really is. There is no end to it, and everyone knows the two words Star Wars, which is pretty cool. Um to go around with and to be a part of, and you're just this very small little pebble in this huge thing, and you just don't want to mess it up, really. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. And uh, no, doing the animated show, it's been a little different. Um, it's the first time I've ever done an animated show, and it, uh, it's been so fun. It's nice because you don't have to wait for the 
camera to reset or hair and makeup. You could literally walk in in your pajamas. Or no <laughs> clothes, actually. If you Whatever you want, you can go recording. I don't need to know this. Yeah, I'm not saying I've done it. I'm saying you could. <laughs> but, um, in fact, who knows what I'm wearing now? Uh, <laughs> That's a very good point. I, but, I can't say. No. Um, it's, uh, it's very fun. And a little, like, story from the first time we went in, we went in to record. And uh, everyone in the cast had done some, to some extent, done some voice work. And uh, they had given us a long backstory on where we are in Star Wars, where our characters are. And he's like, let's do our first scene, action. We go through the whole scene and say it was the three of us. So I'm talking to John and then I'm going to you and, and we're all bouncing back and forth. And we end and I was like, wow, that was really cool. And then Dave Filoni, the creator, executive producer, director, head honcho, comes in over the intercom he's like that was so awesome but taylor do you mind looking at the mic because we didn't hear a single thing you said because <laughs> you you forget that you're the right, real purpose right. is to just use your voice and talking to the mic when you're kind of yeah. bouncing off everyone around you getting that energy going and, and reacting and listening and so that's been the biggest uh change in learning curve has been uh remembering where we're Focusing. <laughs> yeah, they need to put attention. a lav mic on you, right? Instead of, uh, instead right? of a yeah. standing mic. And so your character is Ezra Bridger, who is a very important character in this Star Wars uh, Rebels show. And explain Ezra and and what about him makes him fun to play. Um, he's fun to play because I feel like we're very similar. He's has this cavalier attitude. He's very confident. He's been on his own since until we come into the show that's the first time that other people have any interest in him really he's mm. he's kind of done everything on his own his parents are gone which in this second season that's airing now that story comes to a head which is a uh, a big uh, plot line that is going to be fun to unroll but uh he he uh is a little street rat so when these people want to bring him into their rebel crew he obviously at first is opposed to that and doesn't want anything to do with being a part of a family because he's used to being um, let down and being left. And, and that's a theme that can transcend Star Wars, which is very cool. Um, but uh, as soon as he realizes that they're fighting the same fight that his parents fought and the same fight that he's been fighting on his own, he realizes, oh, wow. And the one other point I forgot to mention is he has this innate ability, which we call the Force in Star Wars. Of course. So he becomes a Jedi, which then you're automatically a rebel. So that's that's been fun. It's fun to just, like, hold a lightsaber and have Dave Filoni be like, remember in this scene, you're a Jedi. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just want that to happen to me just once. Yeah, it's Just it's once funny. in my life. I want someone to tell me that I'm a Jedi. You're a Jedi. Thank you, Taylor. God, and that's coming from a Jedi. Man, Dave I'm would having say, a great day. Dave would say this. I asked this question the other day. He said that every character in Star Wars, this is a thing that him and George talked about a lot. He said every character in Star Wars has the Force in them. He said that was a big thing that George really believed. Interesting. And it's how it was manifested and how strong it was in them. He's like, but everyone has it. So you play, like I said, Ezra, and he kind of gets taken in and is mentored by Kanan Jarrus, who is played by a pretty known name in Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, yeah. And so you obviously work with him. And so what is he like? Freddie is the man. 
He he's so <laughs> cool. And the relationship between Kanan and Ezra uh, kind of drives where the show goes in the first season, and mm-hmm. and is a big thing because it's the master and Padawan, and uh, Freddie, being the actor that he is, wanted to bring that relationship out in just reality and how we interacted. Wow, that's great. Um, and a little bit of like a method kind of way of going about things. And we would hang out after, go grab meals. And we've just gotten really close. And we realized we like all the same things. And he is just a young, cool dude. That So we like hang out and he's awesome. And he's an unbelievable like master and Jedi. And, uh, and he's got <laughs> a great storyline coming up that's going to be incredibly interesting for fans. Awesome. And so, John, let's go back to you. Let us know of maybe your favorite on-set memory that you've got or, or one of the one of the stories that if we were out you know at a bar or something like that and you had to tell one story I want to know what that story is from your time on the set yeah <laughs> well I, I think uh, it's the hard dose of reality um, I have two actually perfect um, <laughs> and they're just sort of vignettes uh, but I think people will understand them uh, there was a scene that uh, uh, Chewie had uh, being very depressed, uh, leaning against uh, his head against the uh, side of the Millennium Falcon. And um, it was, I believe, uh, the scene that took place where uh, he was getting news that they couldn't find uh, Luke and, uh, and Han out, out in the snows of Hoth. And he was kind of, you know, bouncing his head against, you know, against the side. And... Uh, Peter was the, the the suit was hot, and uh, so this was going on. You know, for whatever reason, Irv, uh, Irving Kirshner was was having trouble getting what he wanted, uh, and it could have been lighting or anything. You know, not necessarily anything Peter was doing, but uh, he just got really hot, and so they took a break, but they wanted to keep everybody in place, uh, and so Peter stripped off his his uh, mask you know, his chewy face, mm. and stripped off his uh, his uh, arms and what have you. And so his suit is sort of hanging down around his ankle or around his waist, you know. It's like he's been skinned, <laughs> and he's got long johns on underneath. And it was just, uh, you know, kind of the art and the artifice right there while he was catching his breath and kind of cooling off uh, with the snow all around. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it was, you know, soundstage. Of course. And so that's sort of a vignette of, you know, the, the life, you know, the, of, of the man behind the mask. That uh, seems like something that a, that a photographer could catch. And well, you could, and I you wonder tell, if they did. Yeah, uh, they might have. But I know there's a lot of stills, actually, of Peter, you know, in, in costume in that scene. And the other, uh, Taylor, uh, that I think you'll appreciate is uh, re your remarks about the spirit of things. It was a big production. A lot of money was going into it, and there were a lot of people. And, you know, in the 70s, there was this notion that small, only small, is beautiful. Um, The human scale of this thing didn't get lost. And what I remember, and you know how there's a pecking order in showbiz, particularly in film, I just remember the delight of one tea lady who must have been in her late 60s, early 70s, just pushing the tea trolley around. Uh, smiling, you know. I mean, that's that's the real bottom of the totem pole, as it were. And um, she was just pushing this tea cart around for anybody that wanted tea and just saying to everybody, isn't this great? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it just lovely? You know, in her Cockney accent. 
And what that tells you is uh, the spirit that George and Gary Kurtz, who was the co-producer, who was doing a lot of directorial work and working especially with the second unit and the um, first and second assistants, they really had a careful attitude to the way they managed this big production. And there were a lot of stresses, budgets, you know, cost overruns, all the rest of it, and the issues with Laddie at, back at 20th Century. But everybody was looked after from the very top, your Han Solos and your Leas and your you know, um, Luke Skywalkers, right down to the tea lady and the guy who was sweeping up the, the debris. It was an amazing thing, and I've worked on a lot of films, big and small, but I'd never experienced anything like this. There were no gripes, uh, awesome. you know, on the shop floor. Yeah, and that and it really says something about, you know, not just obviously the the way that the that the set and the cast were managed, but also the fact that I can only assume that part of that had to do with the fact that kind of you're buying in. Everyone was kind of buying into this message. This this trilogy, this this story that took the entire world by storm. Yeah. Well, I think I I had lunch with Mark uh, just about every day because all of what he was doing at that time when I was around mm-hmm. was the scenes of us in the snowspeeder. Sure. And you wouldn't think that, that there was a lot because it goes so quickly, but there was. And I remember one day uh, he said to me, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, anxious discussion that's going on right now, um, you know, amongst, uh, you know, Gary and George and Irving, because they're feeling that there's, uh, that there's too much violence. Hmm. And I said, well, what, what, what are you saying here? And he said, well, they're feeling that this, the film is veering into a celebration of violence, uh, and we don't want that. And so they were trying to see how they could manage the uh, in Empire Strikes Back, um, you know, how they're going to balance the uh, the excitement. And, you know, I mean, there's going to be people dying and what have you to, you know, not glorify it necessarily. Uh, so there was exactly what you were saying. There was kind of a, a, a message of some kind. And, you know, it's inter- I was very interested in what you had to say, Taylor, about discussions that evidently um, – uh, Dave and George had had about this force being with everybody. That's a new one for me, but uh, that was certainly evident. I, I can't. I mean, I wasn't there for the discussions that Mark was reporting, but there was a real conscious desire to make sure that whatever was being presented was being presented in a positive light. Does that make sense? Sure. You know? yeah. And and I and what I mean the the cheesy side of me thinks that well the force that everyone has in this universe kind of can parallel path with the fact that it's that excitement for the film and, and yeah. the story. And yeah. it's, it's what it's that feeling that everybody gets when you talk about Star Wars and what it means to so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. you're making an impact in people's lives, not just their the lives of for like maybe like 30 minutes a day. We're talking about like their lives. And you guys have seen that up close and personal at mm. conventions, and and I'm sure you've had some pretty fascinating uh, interactions with fans. Mm. Do you have any of your favorites? Any any favorite interactions that you've had with some fans? <clears throat> the craziest thing for me is just being has been seeing tattoos on people. I've I've just started going to events and seeing and interacting with fans, but like seeing like the rebel tattoo on people is a very <laughs> it's super cool and it's also very. Uh, 
I don't even know the right word. Intimidating. It. Yeah, and and I, it's a lot of things coming together. You're, it's amazing, really, and you see it, and you're like, wow, that is a uh, very real thing, um, and it brings you back to what you're doing and how it's affecting people, and it's really cool to see. But otherwise, fans are super excited. The same way I get excited about things, and it's fun to just see that joy, like really coming off them and and it's it's fun to be a part of yeah i think um uh, one example uh talking about tattoos that comes to mind i think it was at the cincinnati con that i went to last year um i blogged about this uh, on the starwars.com website and i had uh, one woman who had a lovely tattoo she was in the slave leia outfit so Mm. she was scantily clad and she had on her shoulder a yin and yang symbol you know you know, the, the fish? Yes, of course. So she had this tattoo, I would have said, was about, uh, ooh, six to eight inches in diameter. And on one side was the rebel symbol for the eye of the fish, mm. and the other side was the imperial. Now, to me, I, I, th- I thought That's this awesome. was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> That's indeed. so cool. You, you know, I mean, you know, there, I mean it, was, it was so good. You can see it if you go to, go to StarWars.com and you go to John Dak Morton on Cincinnati, and you'll, you'll see this young lady. I can't remember her name, but I, I featured her and her name and everything, and I was just blown away by it. But that's just one example of, yeah. you know, things. I mean, but then you have the normal sort of your Boba Fett images and, and what have you. But this, the, that sort of creativity that, you know, some, a fan is conveying uh, a level of thought that's uh, creative, but also, uh, you know, something above the norm. And you see that a lot, don't you, Taylor? It's just amazing. So Taylor, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you about something that I know we ch- we chatted about before we went on the air, but you went into one of the most fascinating and most awesome type of audition anyone's ever had and it was for a movie called thunderstruck (laughs) you played a young kid who got kevin durant of the oklahoma city thunders skills and you had to actually play basketball for this role please explain that um well that was a pretty nice intro <laughs> lot to live it's up to the, it truly is it's the best I've it's, ever heard. it was the most interesting audition process i've ever had for a film and i wish all of them went like this because <laughs> um you literally played i played basketball for the job so i'd gone on numerous auditions as any actor does reading just a script literally bringing my gym bag of basketball clothes every time knowing what the script was about and i think it was three maybe four auditions and uh, it was now like, okay, we had a director session, we had a producer session, they're going to have one last chemistry read with the last couple people, excluding Kevin Durant, as he was <laughs> in the middle of an NBA season. Correct, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we were at the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, and there's a basketball court in the middle of the lot, which I was told that George Clooney, while he was doing Batman, had asked them to put in, and he would go shoot hoops in between um, takes and whatnot and in between which automatic first that's the coolest thing in the world you yeah play well, on a basketball court that george clooney was like hey i, I like to shoot some hoops. yeah and, and this when, when right, i was cool. when i was young i would audition there all the time and walk by it and i was, I was i was always wondering like why is that there i would love to go put out there and the director brings us along and he has a camera and a deep i don't it wasn't the dp of the show but uh, some cinematographer brings him out and they're like we're gonna play some basketball 
and I was like, finally, here we go. <laughs> so there's four of us left, two for the role I'm reading for and two for the kind of antagonist, like other kid right. in high school. And uh, we get out on the court and they divide us up and it essentially was playing basketball for the role in the film and it was literally like taking a job <laughs> from someone every but, bucket that you yeah, scored yeah got but you it, closer to this job i wish they were all that objective though because in acting like it could come down to you and another person and the subjectivity of it you could have you could look like the producer's little asshole neighbor and they're like i do not <laughs> want to see that kid's face again even though you play that role so well they're like i would take little johnny over him because I've never seen this face before, and I think every job should be settled by playing a game of one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I end that. <laughs> I cannot agree more with you, my friend. Oh, my gosh. That is just the coolest. And you played, and you got to star next to one of the best basketball players of the last 20 years in Kevin Durant. Yeah, and he's the coolest dude. You, I, It was very interesting to really see a firsthand perspective on on. A professional of at that caliber he every day took a break to go practice and play basketball which is unbelievable that's crazy yeah and and he's really tall and he's you seven are... feet tall and i'm not <laughs> and if you look at the poster i look like uh half his size yeah i think you kind of almost are half his size it's all right funny. all right all right all right all right <laughs> no but it was it must have been a wild experience though and uh, you did have some uh, scenic shots in Oklahoma City, though, that you had to go there for. Yeah, and it was cool to go to Oklahoma. I'd never been there. And it is a huge – they've really embraced the Thunder because it was all Sooners, but they had no oh, other yeah. professional sports team. So when the Thunder got in there, it was cool because we shot for – we were two months in Louisiana and then two weeks in Oklahoma City, and we shot halftime of the actual Thunder games, and we would go in, and it was just crazy. And you actually – beat Kevin Durant in one particular skill Yes, at one particular time. And I want you to have this on record now. On a podcast, <laughs> officially, you were better than Kevin Durant at this at, at a particular time at half-court shots, which that's means incredible. nothing. That is strictly luck. No, it is not. That, there is skill involved in that. There absolutely yeah. is. On the bonus features of the DVD, there, someone was – they obviously had someone else on set just taking video of whatever was going on. And uh, we just started shooting half-court shots, and some fluke freak accident, I hit like six in a row. And we were like, <laughs> what is going on here? And Including Kevin Durant was like, oh, yeah, what is he, happening? Yeah, right he now? had no clue what was going on. So it was very funny to have that happen, and I, I hold that dear. <laughs> as you should. As you should. You should hold that very close. Okay, so I needed – look, as a sports fan that I am, I needed to ask you about that. So awesome. we got that out of the I way. I love it. And okay. in the Tops building, it only seems right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We do have a history with the NBA. So to close out this this interview, and thank you both for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, John, we'll first go with you. Let's talk about Force Awakens. And I assume you don't you know just as much as anyone else does. Or if you know more, I won't I I yes, okay. He made the uh, the zip it sign. How excited are you for, for this movie? I'm very excited. I think it's uh it's got all the right elements. Um, you know, with JJ directing, uh it's sort of like with Irv Kirshner and then you've got uh, you know, Larry Kasdan doing the script. But I tell you who I'm most excited uh, for and about, and that's uh, Daisy Ridley. I think mm. 
her character is going to be so incredibly awesome. It's somewhat reminiscent of uh, some of the martial arts films uh, with the women leads that are coming out of China these days. So I think uh, I think her heroic qualities in that respect are, are just going to lift her so far above you know all of the expectations that. Uh, I'm just really, you know, I, I I hate to sound like I'm plugging Daisy, but I think I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be mind blowing. I'm a father of two girls, by the way. Ah, so I'm there you Daisy. go. Yeah. yeah, you are firmly on yeah. Team Daisy. I'm on Team Daisy. How about you, Taylor? How excited are you for this movie? Oh, I'm stoked. I've been doing homework to catch up, so I I know everything that's going on, and I'm ready. And I like the 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 little new droid. The yeah, yeah. BB-8. BB-8. Yeah. I, I like BB-8. Um, uh, I yeah. want a BB-8. I want him. Yeah, I do too. That thing yeah. looks sick, and yeah, it can go great. anywhere. Exactly. Rolls. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Not rocks. And, and yeah. Not, yeah, exactly. And it's going to be something else, and, and it, again, extends the legacy that both of you guys are a part of, and I'm sure that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I'm glad you agree. <laughs> clearly, clearly the force is with all of us, as John said at the very beginning. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. And I really hope that you enjoy not just the movie that's coming up, but also, Taylor, that you enjoy staying with the Star Wars family. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Alex. 